eight lessons, and we're on number seven. So, hallelujah. We're on lesson number seven, and uh, we're going to see the video tonight. We, you know, every other time when we have a lesson, we see a video, and tonight we'll see a video, and then we'll have some other things to add to the video here in just a uh, little bit. So, the tonight it's on uh, keys to practically releasing God's presence. We're getting down, you know, we've studied the principle of hosting the presence of God. Now we're getting down to the practicalities of it. And so this will help everybody because all of us want to release that. If you're a Christian, you want to release the presence of God where you go and to your, the people that you encounter. Hallelujah. So let's get some practical keys to releasing the presence of God. This is about 24 minutes long and then... The title for this is Practical, Practically Releasing the Presence of God. This that I'm going to talk about right now is actually the kind of what stirred me up into this area a while back on I'm trying to learn what it meant to host the presence. Let me explain. Jesus is walking down the street, and a woman catches, comes up and touches the edge of his garment. Now, that's a stunning miracle. I've actually seen people healed from touching the edge of clothing. It's an amazing thing. But what stuns me about this miracle, besides the miracle itself, which is over the top, is the fact that he is in conversation with a crowd of people. He has a multitude of people pressing it around him. You can imagine, he's like the most famous guy on the planet. And they don't know who he is yet, but they're all maneuvering to try to get close to him. They all want to hear the next thing that he has to say. They all want to see the next thing that he does that is so, uh, so amazing, so profound. And so if you can imagine this crowd all moving with him, this this pod of people moving through town. They're all trying to get close, and a woman manages to press through, touch his clothing. That by itself is stunning. But what gets me is Jesus stopped, and he said, who touched me? And the disciples said, everybody's touching you. He ignored them, which he had to do often. <laughs> and he turned, and he saw the woman who, first of all, shouldn't be in public because of her physical condition. She's, she doesn't know if she's in trouble. She doesn't know what's happened. Jesus turns and he says, your faith has made you well. But here's the piece in there that stuns me. When he realizes that somebody touched him, the disciples said, everybody's touching you. He said, virtue left me. All right. Imagine this. You're in conversation with people. You've got hundreds of people around you all trying to get close. Um, they're asking you questions, no doubt. There's conversation happening. In the middle of that, he was so aware of the presence upon him that he realized when somebody made a withdrawal. <laughs> the dove that remains. It's every step was with the dove in mind. He realized that somebody put a demand on what he was carrying. Now, Jesus was given the spirit without measure. So it wasn't as though somebody took something he had and he was now without. He has the spirit of God without measure. It wasn't that. It was the process of the release of presence that he became aware of. I don't know what that does to you, but I'm going, I want to learn that. 
I want to know what that's like. I want to know what it is to be so aware of the Spirit of God on me that even though my attention is elsewhere, I'm talking with people, I'm doing whatever it is I'm supposed to be doing, in that moment, I'm still aware when somebody's faith is putting a demand on what I carry. I want to live that kind of aware, if you will, always conscious of the presence of the Lord, that I'm aware when faith is in the room. Does that make sense? That got me started. As I started looking at other stories in the Bible, I realized that in Acts 19, I, I, love, I love the chapter because it says that Paul was now doing extraordinary miracles. That's awesome because miracles had become normal. And he was now doing extraordinary miracles. He, he had pressed into a whole new realm. There was the miracle realm, but that's kind of like the everyday normal realm. We're, we're pretty, we got that one down. And Paul's leading the charge into extraordinary miracles. And what did that look like? This is what it looked like. They would take aprons, uh, headbands, uh, sweatbands, uh, articles of clothing off of Paul's body. And they would take them to somebody who was demonized, who the demon would recognize who the apron belonged to, Paul. Another was so aware of the anointing that man carried that when the article of clothing was put on them, the demons would cry out, the person would be delivered, they would be healed of whatever ailment they had. Now here's what fascinates me. It wasn't a prayer cloth that he prayed over and had them take, which I, which I have no problem with. I do it. I pray, I pray for a lot of prayer cloths all the time. This was an article of clothing a sweatband, an apron, meaning what? It was what he wore while he was building tents. See, when you learn to do what the Jew knew how to do best, and that was to use work as an expression of worship. There was no separation between we're now in a worship service and now we're at work. It was an expression of worship work because everything was as unto the Lord. Something happens in that environment to where now even the articles of clothing become impregnated with power to bring about a miracle. When you talk about an anointed cloth touching somebody's body and they get healed, we're not talking about a symbolic gesture. I believe in symbolic gestures. I believe in what we refer to as prophetic acts, an action that is not logically connected to the outcome you're looking for. When the prophet took the stick, threw it in the water, and the axe head swam to the surface. You can throw sticks in the water all day. You're not going to get an axe head to swim to the surface. Except when God says, do this, and it'll cause that effect. You understand? Prophetic act is an action that you do out of obedience that releases presence and power so that what God said would happen actually happens. So here, it's not just the praying over cloth, which I believe in. It was the fact that Paul would work and the anointing he lived in would become tangible on cloth. That tells me the cloth, I don't know how this works, but somehow cloth absorbs anointing. Fascinating. After Jesus experienced that miracle of the woman being healed that touched the edge of his clothing, he never bothered to teach on the principle of anointed cloth. When the Apostle Paul came along and, and they took the articles of clothing and put it on demonized people and the demons would cry out and leave and people would be healed. In his tape series, Seven Steps to Your Miracle, 
he never included, he never included anointed cough, which, which, here's the point. Here's this extraordinary event that goes on without explanation. So that tells us that Paul didn't stand up and say, listen, to the key to your miracle is take part, part of my clothing, put it on somebody. They just did it. The woman, she never had instruction on touching anointed cloth. Her story became so spread throughout the land that by, excuse me, by the time you get to the end of Mark chapter 6, the last verse says this, wherever Jesus wept, the villages, the cities, the countryside, three levels of civilization, big cities, villages, countryside, wherever he went, people would bring the lame and the sick to the marketplace. And then it says this, and everyone who touched his clothing was made whole. So what happened? The story of the woman spread. And so now people are going, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Go get out Martha. We got, we got to put her over here. We got, to, we got to make sure she can touch him while he walks by. And so people, if you can imagine this, they start positioning themselves. Here's the point I'm trying to make. This breakthrough did not come through instruction. It came through adventure. A lot of times the church is waiting for the next bit of instruction. If you'll do this, take these three steps, you'll get point number four. You know, you do this for God, he'll do this for you. I don't think that that's wrong. I don't mean to imply that that's a wrong approach to Scripture. There are times God locks himself into a process or a covenant like that. But what excites me about this story is with Paul and with Jesus, in both cases, it was done because somebody observed how God worked. And through observing how he worked, they thought, I wonder. I wonder if we just took that apron, that headband off. Paul, can I have your headband? Oh, yeah. Takes the headband, put it on a demonized person, they get free. They're asking the question, I wonder if that could work. So while a lot of people are waiting for instruction so they can learn, God is saying, adopt the heart of a child. Everything's an adventure and try to learn that way. Does that make sense to you? So I think this is a, a wonderful and glorious uh, truth, a glorious lesson. What we're looking at uh, uh, in this particular session is actually how to release the presence. And uh, the passage that I want to read is in, uh, that we'll start with is in John chapter 6. Now, I, I need to give you more, more backstory on this. Sorry. Do you remember when Peter is walking down the road and people started lining up their sick relatives in the street so that when he walked past them, his shadow would touch them and they would be well. Well, first of all, there's no substance to a shadow. It's not like cloth that anointing can be absorbed in. A shadow is just close proximity to the person. The Bible doesn't tell us how they figured out to do this. So I would just like to suggest a possibility. Because of what I've seen, I've seen, I've seen people get well, I've seen people experience a miracle by just standing next to an anointed person. 
I've seen them get well because this presence of God just begins to move in a room and merely calling out a disease, they get healed. I've, I've seen so many interesting things. I've stood at the back door before uh, just shaking people's hands and and uh, I, I remember one particular week, I, I just was shaking people's hands, and, and, and I, I'm, I'm touchy-feely, so I, I shook their hand, put my hand on their shoulder, and just blessed them as they walked through. They came back two weeks later, and they said, when you touched me, my, my, however, 10 years, I think it was, of migraines ended. It lifted, and it has not come back. Now, that's awesome. Um, I wouldn't share that story, except that for me, it illustrates the fact that when you learn to host his presence, you have more good stuff happen by accident than ever used to happen on purpose. You know, it's like he, he shows up with you. He's not ashamed to be called your God. He demonstrates himself. Somebody gets touched and you're standing there as shocked as everybody else, you know, in the room. But that's the whole point. The point is there was no prayer of faith. There was no command. There was nothing. It was just, just showing affection. But a miracle, a bonafide miracle took place in this person's life. Now, how is it that they figured out that a miracle could happen if you got close to Peter? All I can imagine is it was similar to Jesus' story of touching the cloth. They must have had, somebody must have had an experience that when they were close to Peter, they left well. And it must have happened more than once as they start comparing notes saying, have you noticed something about that guy named Peter? When you get close to him, there's just this peace that comes from him. And I don't know about you, I went there last week, I had a horrible headache, I got close to him and, and I didn't hurt anymore. And somebody else says, well, you know, I had the same thing happen. I, I was having a problem with my hip and I, just, I was standing next to Peter, just asking him a question and I walked away and I had no pain. I'm just guessing, you know, we're just, I'm just trying to guess, but something happened to where people came to the conclusion, listen, there's something on the man. Get people within his shadow and they'll be healed. That's what stirs up, I believe, a righteous jealousy in me. How do I learn to host the presence of the Lord in the future where he is free to work around me with, with or without my participation? Does that make sense? With or without. I mean, I love to be involved, but the point is, is his work is to be released into the earth. And so this is what stirs me up because Jesus did everything he did as a man rightly related to God. So when I see this story about Peter and I see him, uh, him hosting the presence like this in such a measure that people could get close to him and they'd be healed, that's stunning to me. Here's the way I like to put it. Your shadow will always release whatever overshadows you. Your shadow will always release whatever overshadows you. We're talking about the intentional release of presence. And I, I in, instead of taking through the normal routine, I would take you through and study of this, one of my most favorite stories in the Bible. If I could just take you to Matthew chapter 10 and just quote a portion, because I need to save time. In Matthew 10, Jesus tells his disciples, heal the, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, cleanse lepers. He gives them instruction. And then he says, when you go into a house, let your peace come upon that house. In Luke's gospel, it says, if they don't receive that peace, it'll come back to you. It's kind of a strange assignment. You, you can imagine the disciples trying to figure out 
What does he mean by that? What do you mean, let your peace come on the house? What do you do? Go, shalom? What do you, how, do you, how, do you, how do you get what you're carrying onto a whole household? But it was very practical for Jesus. And so he's trying to help the disciples in, in miracle ministry 101. You know, like this, this is the beginning class. And he tells them, just let your peace go on the house. Any house that you go into, let your peace go in that house. If they don't, if there's no one worthy there in Matthew 10 and Luke's gospel, he says, if there's no one there to receive it that will respond to that peace, then take it back. It'll come back to you. All right? Go backwards. Noah in the ark. He's got a window in the ceiling. He doesn't know the conditions out there. He releases a dove. The dove comes back in the evening, which he knows is not dry out there yet. So he receives the dove to himself, Genesis 7. I think it's 7, 6 or 7. He releases the dove again the next day or the next week, I guess it was. The dove flies around a while, comes back with an olive leaf in its mouth. What is the international symbol of peace? It's the dove with the olive branch, all right? So the dove comes back with the olive branch in its mouth, the leaf. He receives the dove to himself. There's no other relationship between Noah and an animal in this context than he and the dove. He brings it back. The next time he releases the dove, the dove goes and never returns. What's the point? It is a, an unusual picture, prophetic picture, Old Testament style, of what Jesus talked about when he said, you go into a house, let your peace rest on the house. Why? Because peace in the kingdom is not the absence of something. See, in the world, typically when people talk about peace, they're talking about no war. Or maybe it's peace of mind. It's no, no noise. Uh, maybe it's no fighting, it's no arguing, it's no contention. It's, it's always the absence of something. But for us in the kingdom, peace is a person. It's the presence of a person. So when he is saying, release your peace on the house, he says in that context, freely you've received, freely give. The Spirit of God is released to you. Now you release what you've been given unto that household. So here's what I want to know. Is this making sense to you? Here's what I want to know. I want to know how to release the Spirit of God that is upon me to change the environment around me. John chapter 6, I've given you references. We'll just look really quickly at this passage. This has been a very uh, crucial one to me. Jesus has just preached the most offensive sermon in his preaching career. Uh, thousands of people have left. They're totally grossed out because he told them they had to drink his blood and eat his body. They were gagging all the way home. And uh, his disciples, when they heard this in verse 60, uh, it's a hard saying, verse 61, the disciples complained, all the way down to verse 63, it is the spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. And now think about this with me. It's an awkward place to end this particular lesson, but I want to, I want to try to develop this for a minute or two and see, see what we can get out of this. Imagine this, Jesus Christ is the Word of God made flesh, all right? He is God's Word in physical form. But now Jesus says whenever he talks, Word becomes spirit. That's profound, because now whenever he talks, there is a release of what? That's right, the spirit, the dove. Why? The dove is always looking for a place to rest.
All ministry is about your relationship with the Holy Spirit and His desire to find people to rest upon. The Holy Spirit is in us, and He can and should be upon us. He's in me for my sake. He's upon me for yours. So when the Spirit of God rests upon us, it's because we are positioned to impact the nature of the world around us. So what does Jesus do? Every time he spoke, do you remember when he would speak, people would say, we've never heard words like this. Suddenly, uh, groups of people that might have been uh, argumentative are, are suddenly put at peace. Why? Because his words became spirit. Now, one more thing. Paul said in Romans, he said, the kingdom of God is not meat or drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom is in the presence. How is the presence released? In one of the ways is by you saying what the Father is saying, because words become spirit. If you can imagine Jesus talking to a crowd of people, half of them need a miracle of some sort, but as he talks, the reality over them changes. Every time he spoke, he changed the options available to every person. So now we've got people all over the room or the mountainside that need a miracle. Jesus begins to speak. As he speaks, he only says what the Father is saying. His words become spirit. The spirit contains the kingdom. So when he says, change the way you think because I brought my world with me, it just became manifest over them because his words become spirit and the spirit contains the kingdom. Does this make sense? All right. So here's the deal. We host the presence, but we have to learn how to release the presence. I only gave you one. That's the word. Decree. Declare. There's touching. The laying out of hands. There's the prophetic act. There's the act of faith. There's a number of things that we do to release presence. Oftentimes, you see somebody... How many of you have had somebody lay hands on you and you felt this incredible power? Maybe you fell, maybe you stood, but you felt tremendous release on something as soon as they touched you. Yeah, that's what it is. It's the release of something. It's the release of presence, the release of a person. All right. We're not trying to, um, we're not trying to attract attention for releasing the presence. We're trying to release the dove who is looking for a place to rest. You don't choose where he wants to rest. You release him. He knows who to rest on. All right? So this is our cry, Father, that, uh, that you would be honored by what is released all over the earth. We thank you that the Spirit of God rests upon us. And I pray especially that you'd help this company of people, both in the room and on video, help this company of people to know how to say what you're saying so that, in fact, the presence of the Lord would be released. Praise God. I'm sorry about the picture. I watched it on my computer and it was perfect, but I don't know what happened. But anyway, I trust that you still uh, got something out of that. Um, so we're going to kind of go over. I'm going to go through some points that he made and then we'll go over uh, the lesson, the first two lessons under that topic of keys to practically releasing God's presence. Uh <clears throat> 
In Mark 5, 24 through 34, he talks about, Bill talked about the woman with the issue of blood. And the thing that was stood out in that is that uh, Jesus was aware when virtue left him. And that uh, we can get so uh, uh, familiar with having the dove, the talking about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit upon us that we can be aware when something affects that, either something uh, draws from that uh, that anointing that's on us, or even aware when uh, that's not with me right now. What's the reason? Why is the Holy Spirit? Why is the Holy Spirit not resting upon me now? Not that He leaves us on the inside. So we have. Well, we'll talk about that more in a minute. So Jesus realized somebody made a withdrawal. And he realized somebody had made a demand on what he was carrying. See, there's a difference between, and this is what we've learned throughout this series, there's a difference between what we carry inside than what we carry upon us. Both, both same Holy Spirit, but we're given the Holy Spirit at the new birth. When we get baptized in the Holy Spirit, we're, we're filled to overflowing with the Spirit, but then... Uh, we can carry uh, the Holy Spirit or the anointing upon us. Remember Acts 10.38 where it says how, Je how God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all those that were sick and, uh, 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 and, sick and uh, oppressed of the devil. Something I don't I, I lost the last part of the verse. But I'm thinking about the first verse how Jesus had to be anointed because Jesus had stripped himself of his divinity. God doesn't have to be anointed. So if Jesus, when he worked in his earthly ministry, he had stripped himself of divinity. Remember, that's in Philippians. And he, and he ministered as a man. And that's why we can model our ministry after him. We can never be the son of God in the sense of going to the cross and and paying for sin, but we are the sons of God, and we can carry, uh, we can be anointed of the Holy Ghost, carry the dove, and minister the works of Jesus just like he did. Remember, it says that in John uh, 12, 12 or 14, I always get that mixed up, but uh, where it says, um, the works that I do, will you do also? So Jesus didn't do any works that he didn't intend for us as, as believers to do. Uh, so Jesus walked completely aware of the Spirit of God on himself. What is inside of us depends on God. We do not really, we don't earn what's inside of us. We're given it. It's a free gift. And you, you have Holy Spirit on the inside and you're sealed. He's not leaving. He, he's there. But what we carry... On, depends a lot on us. It depends a lot on us. You, you're not every, not every, every Christian has Holy Spirit on the inside. Not every Christian carries Holy Spirit on the outside of them. And we have studied that before. We, this has been throughout this series. So, um, what I carry is going to. Let me give you an example. What I carry on the outside of is going to be different. If I pray for an hour before church, or if I go shoot pool for an hour right before church, what I carry into this service will be different based on me. I tried to 
that is an example that would never happen. <laughs> Shoot, poodle, hallelujah. <laughs> but so what I do makes a difference on how much I carry, what my focus is on. Remember, he talked about Peter and his shadow, and he's what, what our shadow, what's what's in our shadow determines is determined by what's overshadowing us. Hallelujah. So walking aware of Holy Spirit upon us will cause us to uh, order our life in a way where we just we don't we just don't want that presence to diminish in any way. Hallelujah. One thing he pointed out in this that I really wanted to emphasize because I just is that handkerchiefs are not a symbolic gesture. Up here we have what we call a prayer cloth, or it could be called a handkerchief, but it's really not. But uh, Pastor Buzzy used handkerchiefs, if you can remember. Do y'all remember that big old handkerchief? And he had a scripture stamped on it with a stamp. But that's a prayer cloth, and that is not a symbolic gesture when we pray over a prayer cloth and we send it out to somebody. And if you think of it as just symbolic, you, there's not going to be any power in it for you. Any more than wearing a St. Christopher around your neck has any power in it. Okay? It's really cold in here. Hallelujah, by the way. I'm, if I'm cold, I figure everybody else about to freeze to the seat. And so, uh, uh, so it's not a symbolic gesture, but that, those prayer cloths are containers to carry the anointing. And I thought about this. I was meditating on this. And do you realize that a handkerchief carrying the anointing, God allowing it to be that way, God allowing that to work, what a demonstration of God's goodness that is. It is an amazing demonstration of God's goodness because otherwise there are people that truly could not get here. They're in an insane asylum or they're, demon, they're demon possessed and they could not get here. And yet God made a way that somebody in faith could get a handkerchief prayed over by other people in faith and take it to them. And God in his mercy say, that's good enough. I, you, they don't have to be there. My power will come on them and deliver them or heal them. Hallelujah. Amen. So... Um, <clears throat> So one thing he asked, he asked, the, or, or maybe this was in the book, I don't remember which, but he said, what is the anointing you live in? And so that's something to think about. Um, I like the part where he said, the breakthrough where people started taking handkerchiefs came not through instruction, but through adventure. And uh, so I would encourage us tonight to be childlike, to be adventuresome in ministry. We don't need to have a three-step formula in ministry. We need to listen to the Holy Ghost and what He says about every situation and every individual and do what He says about it instead of, well, this is how our church does it and we, you know, we anoint you with oil and put a little cross and cross, you know. That's fine if the Holy Ghost is says do that but listen to the holy ghost and be adventuresome because god doesn't just have one way to minister there are ways god has to minister that he has not even showed us yet that has not been done on this earth he has ways that he is he to heal people that have not ever been done amen um 
I, I, when I was listening to this, I reminded of something Bill, I've heard Bill say before, Bill Johnson. He said, we try some things at our church, and if it doesn't work, we just get rid of it. But they are adventuresome as a church. They will try some things. Hallelujah. And so uh, we ought to give ourselves liberty here to, well, you know, let, not just where healing is concerned, but in other things. Well, let's try praise night. And if, if, if God shows up and the anointing's there and hallelujah, we'll keep on. But if it's not, we'll go and we'll do something else. Hallelujah. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> and remember, he says this all the time, but it, just keep it remembering it. Holy Spirit is in me for my sake and on me for everyone else. He is in me for my sake but own me for everyone else. Glory to God. The another thing he pointed out is the dove is always looking for a place to rest. So the Holy Spirit on us is looking for somebody to minister to. He's looking for somebody that, that we can release life into. And remember, it doesn't even have to be a person. But in church pre-service prayer tonight, we release life into Tuscaloosa County. We released healing into Tuscaloosa County. We released uh, the anointing that destroys the yoke. And we spoke that that yoke of religion that is a form of godliness but denies the power thereof, that that is broken off of Tuscaloosa County. And we released a hunger for God. The, the, the Lord told me, he said, the people of Tuscaloosa County are, are, are too content they're too sat. They're satisfied with and 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 hallelujah. They need a hunger for God's what I'm trying to say. Amen. Romans four seventeen says uh, the kingdom of God is not meat nor drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. I believe this that affected me as much as anything he said. The kingdom of God is in the Holy Spirit. Think about that. Because I've often meditated on what does the kingdom of God is not meat nor drink, right? But I mean, I knew I know what he's saying, but I've just like I didn't get the full import of that. And now it's like the kingdom of God is in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is in the Holy Spirit, which I hadn't thought this all the way through yet. But if you think about Galatians, where it says it says. Uh, it talks about those that do these things, and it talks about uh, a fornication, and it lists a whole list of those things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. If you you think, well, that means they're not going to heaven. Well, it might not, because you just think about it. So there's some things in there <laughs> that I know you've done, and I know I've done that I'm going... I still am going to heaven. I'm born again on the inside, but I have done those things. And you know, but 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 you're not going to have Holy Spirit on you. The king, you're not going to be functioning in Holy Spirit if you're listing if you're doing that list of things the the works of the flesh that are listed in Galatians. You know what I'm talking about. The works of the flesh are these. Okay. So how do I release the Spirit of God on me to change the environment around me? And he gave us four things. By word. And it's not just speaking any word, of course. He said Jesus' words were spirit and they were life. And so it's what's God saying to us. It's what we're hearing from God. 
that we speak and release. You know, we're not just saying, you know, I believe we're going to get a, I decree and declare that we're going to get a major league baseball team in Tuscaloosa County. You know, that's not spirit and that's not life. That'd be just something else to distract everybody. <laughs> Hallelujah. But anyway, neither here nor there. It's those anointed words. It's those words that are that are of the Spirit. And then number two, by touch. He talked about that by touch. We know the laying on of hands. going to probably talk about that more another night. And then by prophetic act. Uh, what is a prophetic act? Uh, a prof uh, one prophetic act is when the... Um, uh, he, you remember in this is the Old Testament example of a prophetic act, but remember when the uh, axe head uh, had sunk to the bottom of the lake or pond or whatever it was, river, and they threw in a stick. You remember that? Well, throwing you can throw sticks, and they don't. But that's one example of a prophetic act and maybe you have done a prophetic act I know me and pastor have done a prophetic act before several times we've done prophetic acts in this church another prophetic act is go march around Jericho seven times you can go march around something I guarantee you go out down to Bryant Denny and march around it seven times nothing would happen except you'd be tired hallelujah unless God told you to for some reason Remember, we went, did some prophetic acts about two years ago after we watched the John Beneville. Is that him? And we went to some specific places in Tuscaloosa and prayed and anointed. And and uh, and then the number four was uh, by an act of faith. An act of faith. And then the last thing he, just about the last thing Bill said in this is, you don't choose where he wants to rest, you just release him. Like, for instance, if you go to Christmas dinner at somewhere, somebody's house, you t you'd release the peace of God. And I liked what he said. It's not just, oh, y'all are going to be real restful and not anxious. Sometimes we want people to be restful and not anxious, but it's more than that. It's First of all, the word peace in, in Hebrew, shalom, means prosperous. It means it, it means it means a lot of things. So you're releasing the presence of God, but where He rests depends on Him, and where and what He does with that peace that you release also depends on Him. Hallelujah. So lesson number one in the book, based on that video, was a power and authority, and we can go to Matthew eighteen, eighteen for that. This is won't take long. You're not gonna. I'm not gonna keep you long because these little lessons are pretty short. Matthew 18, verse 18. This is very familiar. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father. Um, praise God. And the point there is uh, Jesus gave his disciples power and authority. He gave them power and authority. And he did it during a period of time while he was still on the earth. Now, this is the disciples. This is the 12 disciples. And their experience was temporary and it was uh, special. It was unsustainable. Because the reason they couldn't sustain this, 
It was just temporary. He gave it to them for that mission that they were on. But Jesus had not gone to the cross yet. The Holy Spirit had not yet been poured out. So Jesus was establishing and demonstrating a model for all the eterni- the, the, the years and centuries and after that, that we that Christians, every Christian would know that we know how to model that and how to how to carry the Holy Spirit. Um, one thing we've done effectively in this church, I believe, and but we'll just go over it and just in case we didn't weren't as effective as we thought, is that we've brought down the barrier that, oh, well, that was just Jesus, and he was the Son of God, and I'm not Jesus, so I can't. And that's where religion has kept people. They're powerless. They're pew-sitters. They, they, just li- they just hear and, not, and aren't doers of the Word because, and that's one of the reasons that we've taught that, uh, that you can't do the works of Jesus because He was the Son of God. So you could never do those miracles. You could never. Uh, and, and, but I believe we've effectively, if we haven't, tell me, but brought down that barrier. And we know that we are, we, the Bible says, as he is, so are we in this world. We know that scripture by heart around here. It's like, it's like the, maybe one of the top ten scriptures of this church. As he, because as he is, so are we in this world. Hallelujah. And so, what a privilege. What a privilege. How amazing is that? But, uh, so that we are not only uh, commanded, we are not only, we're commanded to model Jesus. We're not only commanded to model his morals and model his, his goodness, we're commanded to model his works. And you know it's time for the church to get busy, and there are a lot of places where they they're they're busier than here. Tuscaloosa's had the the body of Christ. Tuscaloosa has had their growth is stunted because they've been under religion. Their spiritual growth is stunted. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but the very truth the truth of and this is absolute truth that Baptists are fifty yards fifty yards fifty years behind behind what God's doing in the earth. Now, I'm not saying every Baptist church, because I know there's some revved up Holy Ghost Baptist church who we rented our building to out there. They got some understanding that, but I'm talking about the kind of Baptist church I came out of when I was, you know what I'm talking about. Hallelujah. And we're not criticizing. We're just saying, you know, Lord Jesus, help us get this out there. You know, Pastor Buzzy said, Lord, I couldn't live long enough to get this gospel, this word out here. You know, his me- big message was uh, who you are in Christ. Christ in me, the hope of glory. And uh, he said, I couldn't get this out here. If I, in, the, in 10 years, I couldn't get it out there. He said, and the Holy Ghost spoke back to him and said, well, I could. And, you know, I have heard so much teaching on who we are in Christ that I think the Holy Ghost did get it out there further than Pastor Buzzy ever dreamed that that message would get out. So let's pray that the message get out there, this message into Tuscaloosa County, this message of uh, as he is, so are we in this world, and that we can do the works of Jesus. Amen. Um, 
in the new covenant, we encounter Jesus and every encounter we have with Jesus or the Holy Ghost, we are commissioned by Jesus through those encounters to, those encounters are meant to bless us and to renew us personally, but they're also designed to remind us that we have that, we have the dove, we have the Holy Ghost, and we have the power and authority to help others. So when we are in our prayer time and we have an encounter with God, it's not just so we can say, Lord, I'm so thrilled. I heard you today. But we are to release what God gives us. When God gives you something, you're to release it. Either to a person or in the environment. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And then how to re and then one thing in the book it points out is how to live between encounters and to release to others. What if it's been a while since you've well, we spend time with the Lord every day, but you know sometimes you're with him and he just gives you something and it just changes you. It just helps you. It just sets you free. And it's just maybe something he said to you, or maybe it's not even something he said. It's just maybe it's just the presence came on you. I know tonight in pre-service prayer, before we started praying, the presence of God came in this place. Yeah. And it was heavy. And we couldn't even pray normal. We prayed different than we I've never prayed that way before it was nearly like I don't know it was divine hallelujah so we release that to you whatever God whatever came in the room we release it to everybody amen uh, so the secret to living between encounters is really easy it's authority you know, if you don't know what to do and God hadn't told you what to do and you hadn't heard a prophetic act and you don't know what to do over here, just use your believer's authority. Just You don't have to have a special word to use authority. And sometimes that's all God wants us to do, so that's why he doesn't give us a word. You know, we're in, that, we're in the prayer room on when we have prayer and healing center, which is next Monday night. Hallelujah. What is that, the 6th? 7th. The 7th of December, 7 o'clock. And so we have prayer and healing center where people can come and get prayed for, for sickness and or anything really. But uh, So you may have a word of knowledge. You may have something in your team. But if you don't, just go with authority. Amen? Because that's always in. That's always there. That's It doesn't leave you. Okay, um, well, so what you receive in an encounter, though, you have authority to release to others. What you receive. If God heals you from rejection, you have authority to release that to whoever you encounter that needs that. Amen? So we're able to uh, always release what God has given us. Pam and I were together on Monday. And we got to, I don't know what we were doing. I guess we were kind of drunk or something. Not on anything but new wine, Holy Ghost wine. And uh, we got this. Remember the, uh, if you only knew what God is about to do. Remember that? Well, we had an update on that. And I believe this came inspired of the Holy Spirit. It was, if you only knew what God is about to do for you. 
And we we sat out in my car and said that to each other. Quite, a, I'd say, Pam, if you only knew what God is about to do for you. Amen. I want you to turn to the person next to you right now and, and tell them, hallelujah. I must tell you, sir, if you only knew what God is about to do for you, you would be so amazed. Hallelujah. And we got so encouraged in the Lord. Well, today, uh, our oldest son, Colin, called me, which that's kind of a phenomena, right? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. He does every once in a while call me, and he was on his way to South Mississippi. And in the last four days, he's been in Florida, down Sarasota, uh, pretty far down there. Then he was in Illinois on Monday. Then he was in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania on Tuesday. And today he's headed for South Mississippi. And so he, when he's driving, sometimes he will get on the phone and, and talk. And so, um, uh, you know, we talked about a lot of things. But one thing he told me is he said he was, and he would sent us a picture. And we'd been talking about the morning of the, uh, that, this morning of the uh, Independence Hall in Philadelphia. And he says Independence Hall is uh, roped off or whatever for four blocks around it. And there's armed, heavily armed security all around those, those things down there because we're under high alert, you know, for terrorism. And so he said he was standing there and a man walked by with an Alabama hat on. And uh, he said, I like your hat. Are you from Alabama? And he said, born and raised in Tuscaloosa, graduated from the University of Alabama. And then, he, but he said he was so unfriendly and just kept walking. He said that Yankee had got on him up there in Philadelphia. He'd been there too long. <laughs> he had got on him. <laughs> but anyway, so, but you know, Alabama's everywhere. And <laughs> it is. And um, so, but anyway, uh, he was talking about something, and I was able to release that to him. And I said, well, Colin, if you only knew what God is about to do for you, and then he kind of didn't, and then I said it again later. I said, well, you know, this is, this is our saying now. If you only knew what God is about to do for you. And he said, well, I receive that. And so we can release what God gives us. And so you've been given that tonight. So tomorrow your assignment is to release that very thing because it brings hope and it brings faith. And it encourages. And I am on assignment from the Lord. This, is, this happened about three weeks ago. The Lord told me, don't ever be discouraged again. Not, not ever again. Don't ever be depressed again, which I'm not prone to depression, but I know there people are. But don't ever be depressed again. Don't ever be discouraged again. And you think, well, how do you do that? Well, first of all, you choose. And I have had so many opportunities and just to choose. And uh, just to choose that. And you choose just to not... And that doesn't mean that, that something might not affect... You will have a feeling. But you just choose to say, no, I am not going to do that. And it's, it's maturity. That's what he's calling us to in this church is maturity. When you choose... I'm not ever discouraged. 
I won't come. I'll just, I just will not do that. I won't come to church discouraged. I won't come. I just, not that you stay home. It's not like, oh, I can't go discouraged, so I'm going to stay home. No, that's not it. It means you choose. You make a decision. It's maturity. It's faith. We call ourselves faith people. We call ourselves faith people. Okay. Now, uh, okay, I'll move on. So, uh, release that to somebody tomorrow. Number lesson number two is intentionally releasing God's presence through words. In John six sixty three B, where it says, where Jesus said, "My words they are spirit and they are life." My words they are spirit and they are life. Well, when you speak the words God gives you, they too. It's just like it's just as much spirit and life as it was when Jesus spoke. You know, hallelujah. So it's important that we're speaking words. You know, I think it's a lot of people who want to spend a long time begging God to do something and asking God to do something. And that's okay, but that's not the highest. You do something with your words. You release something. If you already know it's God's will, then speak it and release it. Now, sometimes we do have to pray and ask Him on situations. What is your will? What should I do about this? And that kind of thing. But you don't have to ask Him if it's His will to heal. Release it. We release healing and life to Lawrence. We did that. Everybody did that. I'm not saying we didn't do it. I'm just saying that is the way to do it, is to release, release, release over this city. Hallelujah. Uh, another thing the Lord told me, he told me this uh, last week. He said, uh, he said, if you, if you, if the, for the next month, if you will pray my prayers, if you will pray my, if you will pray what I want, I'll take care of what you want. That's what he said. Sometimes we're asking him, oh God this and oh God that. And we spend a lot of time and so, you know, I just like, okay, I'm going to pray what you want. Now, that totally, that was like a encounter because it totally revved up my prayer life. And I just, I, I just went into that, I dove into that. And uh, I had to catch myself some couple of times just not praying, you know, will God do this? And, you know, hallelujah. He knows my heart. He knows my wants. He knows my needs. He knows what I've got to have right now. You know what? Y'all may think we're sticklers around here, but let me tell you, you're, if, if, God, if we don't have a move of God at River Church, your life will go on. But if you don't, we don't have a move of God at River Church, it changes everything about Michael and Debbie Billings' life. It is not a desire. It's an absolute necessity that we have a move of God at River Church. For us, I'm not saying that you wouldn't desire it, but I'm just saying I know y'all desire it as much as we do, a bunch of you. But it still is not going to. Your job will be there. You're, you know, you're know what I'm saying. Okay, thank you, Lord. So Michael and Debbie Billings are all over it and all about it. Hallelujah. We must do what, but God told us to do it. 
host a move of God. He told us before we knew we would be at this place and we would be here. He said, host a move of God in Alabama. Host a move of God in Alabama. And so here's the thing. When God tells you to do something, it would be unrighteous for him not to supply what you need to do it. If he told you, you didn't just think of it, dream it up. But if he told you to do something, it's unrighteous for him not to supply what you need to get it done. So when we speak under the influence of the Holy Spirit, we can expect the same release and life Jesus experienced. And we release the Spirit and life four ways that I already gave you. Words can release the supernatural. So what was it that empowered Jesus' words? He only said what he heard the Father saying. So every word Jesus spoke had its origins in the heart of God. And to do that, you have to have a relationship with God, which we know Jesus did. But think about it. God had a relationship with God. Jesus was God. God had a relationship with God. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? Okay, so Jesus spent time alone with the Father. And in moments of intimacy... And when we say intimacy with God, we just mean alone time. And that means without your iPad, your iPhone, your iPod, your, hallelujah, alone time. Alone time with God. Hallelujah. And that's where you hear the Father's heart's exposed. You hear what he's saying. I mean, you may not hear it in words. You just know, you just know the intent of what he's doing. And he and and you see what God is doing, you may see it by when this and so when this happens, when this happens and we release then what we've gotten, that's the world is changed, and the kingdom is established. When the atmosphere is wrong, we can change it by speaking. When the atmosphere is right, it can be changed by what we're speaking, and we have to come back and change it back. So, hallelujah. Tremendously important. Hallelujah. And such a blessing and such a privilege that God would allow us to release. So right now, the pastor's going to come, of course, and receive the offerings and so forth. But uh, well, let's stand up. Let's start releasing things. You just start releasing. Release some things into your life. Or release things into the city. Maybe you want to do what I was told to do. And just let God take care of your stuff. And you start releasing things to other people.